Welcome everybody to church. It's great to see you today. May the Lord bless you. And Mission Sunday is always a good Sunday, isn't it? But there was something that's just come up uh, in some comments that you were making, Yvonne, and Rochelle you are making. It's about the call of God. And, you know, I remember in days gone by, we used to speak a lot about the call of God. As a young man, I'd go to youth functions, youth camps. I remember youth camps and we'd have a good speaker who would challenge us to serve God and, uh, and that God's calling you. And I can remember many of us young people would go out the front and God would challenge us and speak to us. But then times have changed. You don't hear too much these days of people talking about the call of God. And I've often wondered about that. You know, I, I believe God still calls people today. Uh, just, I've just been honest with you. I was at a church um, in uh, another place. And it was a very large church, wonderful place. And I was just mixing with some of the young people there. Anybody who's under 50 is a young person, amen, <laughs> these days. Um, but, you know, and they were just saying, I was introduced to them. And uh, to several of them, I was introduced as, oh, he pastors a church in Melbourne. And it was interesting. What struck me is some of these guys said to me, oh, I used to be a pastor once, but I've got a different job now and I'm doing this. And it just, I know perhaps it doesn't mean much to you, but it just grieved my spirit. Because you see, you don't do pastoring as a job. It's a call from the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter how old I will get, I'll always be anointed to be a pastor. Now, one day I won't be able to function, but that anointing is is there. And I believe God still calls people. God still calls people to the missions. And often it's young people. And I just want to remind everybody in this place, I affirm what was said today. Let's, let's, let's hear what God's saying to us, whatever the calling is. Not everybody's called to be a pastor, of course not. Not everybody's called to be a missionary. But we have a call from God to serve Him. Amen. And we need to stop playing life safe. You know, I, I, you know, we play life safe, got to get this education, got to get this job, got to get the uh, four by two house, I've got to become secure, I've got to get my superannuation sorted out. Meanwhile, the world's going to hell, you know. <laughs> you know let, let's put God first. And I have no doubt that as people here at Real Life Church, that you're called to the missions. But, though, you know, the choice is yours to respond to the call of God. And sometimes it costs you. It costs you big time to be, be a missionary. It costs you. And there's aspects of you know, these callings that God gives to us and that we've got to surrender our lives. It costs you money. It might cost you reputation. It might cost you your ambitions. But I'll tell you what, there's nothing like obeying the Lord and nothing compares to serving the Lord. So I want to encourage young people, especially when you're planning your life, when you're planning your education, don't think about, oh, what kind of job can I get when I'm going to earn the biggest pay packet I can get, but what does God want you to do? What does God want you to study? What could you study at university that could open up the door so you can go to a third world country and serve the Lord there? We've got to start thinking like this. Jesus is coming back again. We need to obey the call of God upon our lives. Amen. You know, and if you say, I just don't know how to do this. I don't know. I can remember the Holy Spirit called me when I was a 15 year old boy or maybe even younger at a camp. It was just an amazing experience for me. And everybody's calls different. But I just knew that I knew that God had called me to be a pastor. And it was like this. I was at a camp. And then for three months afterwards, every day that I woke up in the morning, it was like this blanket of anointing was on me up until my birthday. And then 
it just left. But I remember the Holy Spirit working in my life, even as a young man, and I didn't know very much at all. And it wasn't until I was 34 years of age that I ended up going full time. And I tell you, it cost me. I had a great job working for a fuel company. I was earning good money. And you know, I had all the perks that went with it. But I tell you, it was such a joy to be able to give all that away and step out in faith and say, I want to serve the Lord. And I just want to encourage you, whoever you are today. And it's not just young people, but it's old people. God calls whatever we are, you know, just be available for what God wants you to do. Come on, be available for what God wants you to do. And praise God, I never intended to say any of that, but anyway. (laughs) If you don't know what to do with the call of God upon your life, why don't you come and speak with us? As you wrestle with it, you think, what do I do? Uh, We'd love to talk with you and, and cheer you on to be the person that God's called you to be. Father, we just thank you for your presence. Oh, how we just love the presence of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. We pray for every one of us today to once again hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speak into our hearts. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. The message I'm going to bring today has come about because a few weeks ago we had my dad come and preach. Isn't my dad a great preacher? He's 81 years old. He's actually preaching somewhere else today. Um, He's in my sister's church. 81 years of age, and I think he just gets better and better with age. He forgets a lot these days, but who cares? He still keeps going. And he brought a wonderful message, and he challenges us all to make our stand for Jesus. I was just wondering if there's anybody who could remember that message. Finishing strong, yeah, he spoke about that too. And I listened to it again this week. It was just such a wonderful message. And by the way, all our messages are on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube or Facebook. And sometimes it's good to regurgitate the Word of God and listen to it again because it's amazing what you pick up the second or third time around. But he brought this wonderful message and it really, really, my heart was touched. But I kind of felt he only went so far because we've only got so much time like me. I'm, I've got the clock staring right at my face right now on that pole. I, I know we've, you've got things to do. We've got kids' church. I get all of that. And we've got a time. You can only say much in a sermon. Say, say so much in a sermon. So I want to bring part two to his message. Is that okay, everybody? So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start off with a scripture from 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 14. And uh, this is where the mighty prophet Elijah Prayed. He said these words to God. He was going through a bit of a hard time. And he said, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and have killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left who believes in you. I'm the only Christian left. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Many years ago, a long time ago, in a year nine English class, I nervously stood before my classmates with an open book in my hand. The teacher required that each student should come forward when it was their turn, and read several pages aloud to the other students. Who remembers doing that at school? Who hated it? Yeah, amen. Amen. I see those hands. I hated it too. And so it's now my turn. However, there was a problem because the story in the book was just full of vulgarity 
and swearing. And it was just simply an awful story. And that book was later banned from the curriculum, I understand, a couple of years later. But I was committed to Jesus Christ. I was really born again. And I decided that I did not want to say those swear words and repeat the vulgar words that this story contained in this book. The story was offensive to me. Now, a lot of people would say I was overreacting and they would say it's just some words in a dumb book. Who cares? But it really mattered to me as a 14-year-old Christian because I just sincerely wanted to honour the Lord and I didn't want to say those kind of swear words that were in that book. But nonetheless, at the same time, I desperately wanted my classmates to be my friends. I wanted to be included by them. I did not want my school friends to think I was a weirdo because high school was hard enough as it was. Who remembers what high school was like? Yeah, yeah. You never wanted to stand out, right? And I knew, I knew that if I did not say the swear words while reading the story out loud, then I would cop it bad, real bad, later from the other students in the class. I was also concerned about the teacher. How would she react to me? I just thought I was receiving the call from God then again. I just thought, what the... Was that you? Naughty girl. So, Kath, I was conflicted. That's all right. I just love you so much. I'm not even angry about it. That's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Chill. Everybody else, is a good time now to check your mobile phones. Amen. Amen. And, and we want everybody to hear the word of God today. Amen. Amen. So, you know, if you've got, uh, so let's not try it unless I have too many distractions. So, as a 14 year old boy, I was conflicted because I want to be true. And some of you have experienced this. I want to be true to my, in my devotion to Jesus Christ. But at the same time, I did not want to become the year nine social outcast either. So as I stood in front of the class with the teacher watching on, I, I start, I've got a hammer. I've got a hammer. Amen. I've got a hammer. I started to, to read from the book. And, you know, I can read, and who, who can read, and you can read other sentences at the same time? I'm reading the sentence out loud, but my eyes are darting ahead. Who knows what I'm talking about? And as I continue to read, I could see a swear word coming up in the next sentence. It was coming up real fast. And I'm, 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 I'm getting flustered, and I'm getting closer. So what was I going to do? What do I do about this? And at that moment, I felt like Elijah that we just read about. I felt anxious. I felt really alone as I faced my classmates. And finally, that first swear word was in front of me and it demanded my response. And so I said, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you what I said in a few moments. Amen. (laughs) But that classroom experience early in my Christian life introduced me to the harsh reality that authentic Christians don't fit into this world. 
And of course, we know that Jesus Christ did not fit into this world either. And the words of Jesus are so very true when Jesus said this. said this to his disciples, and that's us. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, if you belong to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. And like so many of you over the years, like so many of you, I've also been confronted with numerous scenarios at university, at work and wherever, where my faith in Jesus has caused me to come into conflict with the demand being made upon me by other people. And so here we are in 2022. And I sincerely believe it is much harder today for authentic Christian young people to live out their faith in school, TAFE and university than it was several decades ago when I was younger. I think it's harder today. My my heart goes out to today's young people as they are daily bombarded with the toxic, woke ideologies that contradict the wholesome teachings of Jesus Christ and the Holy Scriptures. Similarly, it's also increasingly difficult for Christians to be Christians in the workplace. And, and it's hard to be Christians in other environments that are meant to be safe places for everybody, except Christians. Christians in some workplaces today are expected to abandon their Christian worldview and conform to the woke narrative in order to keep their job. We've all seen this played out uh, recently in the so-called inclusive AFL industry. That's a toxic industry. So what can we do? What should we do? What should I do? What should you do? How should we react to the hostility towards Christians that we find these days? Well, should we abandon our faith in Christ and conform to society's expectations upon us? Well, of course not. Jesus is the only one who has the words of eternal life. Nobody else out there knows what they're doing. So how should we, as authentic Christians who desire to honour Jesus Christ, how do we navigate our way through the ever-increasingly spiritual, hostile environment in which we find ourselves today? So I'm going to suggest the four following responses. Are you ready, everybody? Number one, firstly, when you're being pressured for your faith at work or at school, always remember you are not alone. I felt alone as a 14-year-old boy in the classroom that day when I was reading that awful story. But I was not alone because Jesus Christ was with me. And you're not alone at school. You're not alone at university. You're not alone in the workplace. Jesus is with you in the lecture room. Jesus is with you in the office. Jesus is with you in the factory. Jesus is with you constantly. Always remember, Christ is with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. In addition, when old Elijah complained to God and said, I'm the only one left. God responded to him and God 
told him, Elijah, you're not the only one left. I have 7,000 others in Israel who are just like you. In the same way, you're not the only one left. You're not the only authentic Christian being pressured for your faith. There are lots of Christians throughout Australia just like you. And many of these Christians are going through what you're going through today. And God is with all of his people and God knows what is going on. There are still lots and lots of good Christian people everywhere who have not given up and they've not bowed the knee to the ideologies of this world. Therefore, don't you give up either. You are not alone. Number one. Number two. Secondly, in this current spiritually hostile environment, Stand your ground. Stand your ground concerning your faith, but don't be unpleasant about it. Don't be argumentative with people. Look at me, look at me, look at me. Don't be nasty to people. Be respectful of people. Be gracious as you stand your ground for Jesus Christ. The book of Daniel in the Bible in, in the book of Daniel, we read about Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Many of you know about them. They were Jewish young men who lived in the ancient city of Babylon. In the Bible, whenever you read about Babylon, Babylon always represents today. It represents our world, represents Australia, if you'd like, today, the world we live in. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego lived in Babylon, in a similar place to where we live today. But they were devoted followers of God Most High, just like you. So they represent us today when we read about them in the Bible. We read that these three young men graduated from a type of university in ancient Babylon. And without a doubt, it would have been hard studying in that pagan environment because it was a challenge to their faith. I did a degree in physics. I love science. But I remember one of my uh, workmates at university. He was a nice enough guy, but he came up to me and he said to me, what are you even doing here? You're a Christian. Uh, basically, you don't belong in, in, in science. You know, sometimes it's hard at university. We feel like we don't belong. But these guys hung in there. And these guys applied themselves and they graduated with honours and they were recognised and rewarded for their efforts and diligence. So they got a job working for the king, King Nebuchadnezzar. And they were hard workers. I think Christians should be hard workers because we're working for Jesus Christ. And once again, they did not agree with the wicked things that happened in Babylon, like you often don't agree with everything that's going on in the workplace. But, you know, these three guys did not take it upon themselves to run around being the moral police in Babylon, telling everyone how they should live. Rather, what these three guys did is that they simply made sure that their own lives honoured the Lord. They prayed for the king and for Babylon, just like uh, the prophet Jeremiah told them to do. And they did their best to serve their king with all diligence. But one day it was inevitable, the same as it's going to be inevitable for you. One day their faith eventually came into conflict with a spiritually hostile environment that was in Babylon. This happened because King Nebuchadnezzar demanded that at a certain time everyone in Babylon must bow down and worship a huge golden statue, a golden god that had recently been made. In addition, King Nebuchadnezzar had threatened the people that if anyone disobeyed this demand, that person would be thrown into a blazing fiery furnace. And so everyone complied. 
Everyone that is, except Meshach and Abednego. These three guys chose not to bow the knee to this golden God because they were followers of Almighty God. And so at the given time, even under the threat of death, these three young men bravely decided to stand their ground and not bow down to this false God. What happened? They were promptly arrested and taken before the king. And King Nebuchadnezzar was furious with them. He was a scary guy. He was a despot. He was a murderous monster. And he made his threats once again to these three young men. But this is how Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego responded. They said this, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Wow, wow, wow. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were firm in their stance against the king's evil demand, but they were still respectful to the king. They did not launch into a tirade of hate and nastiness. They were going to die anyway, so let's just say what we think. And they did not curse into hell for being a murderous monster. They simply, but boldly, stated the reason for their decision to not bow their knee to the golden God, and they made sure that the king understood that their first allegiance was to Almighty God. They stood their ground, but they showed respect. They stood their ground, but they showed respect. But the king still had them thrown into the fiery furnace. And that should have been the end of them. But God met them in the fire because God always meets you in the fire. God always meets you when you make a stand for him. Amen. And God protected Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego from the flames. And King Nebuchadnezzar was stunned by what he saw. He had thrown three men into the fire, but now he saw four men walking around in the fire and the fourth man looked like God. When you're ever in the fire, the fourth man's walking with you. Amen. Amen. So the king commanded Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego to come out of the fire. He said, hey, you boys, get out of there now. And the three young men obeyed the king and they stepped out of the fire completely unharmed and there wasn't even the smell of smoke on their clothes. It was a miracle. And the king and everyone were astonished by this miracle of divine protection. You know, it was just amazing. It was incredible. And then King Nebuchadnezzar humbled himself and he acknowledged the protection of God and he gave praise to God. Amen. Amen. Then, this is where it gets very interesting. It's all interesting, but this is really interesting. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego to even better jobs, more pay, hallelujah, and where they had then greater influence over Babylon. But this is the thing to note, and it's really important for us, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego graciously accepted the king's promotion. They did not taunt the king for making a mistake for throwing them in the fire. Then you say, we told you, we told you God would save us. They didn't need to say that. 
They did not tell the king what he could do with his job offer either. Woman, are you throwing us in the fire? Now you want to give us a job? Well, you know what you can do. <laughs> no, no. They firmly stood their ground out of devotion to God, but they were respectful about it. They were gracious with those who opposed them. I'm really hammering this out today, aren't I? <laughs> you know what I am. <laughs> in the same way, let us stand our ground when our faith is challenged. Absolutely. If something's wrong, call it out. Stand your ground when you're challenged. But let us be gracious and kind to those that we have conflict with. Let's not resort to personal attacks on people on social media. Even if it's deserved. Please, we're Christians. We belong to another kingdom. And I've got to just say this. Sometimes I see debates on social media and I, I don't agree with the woke positions and that, but sometimes the Christian's response is as nastiness as the other side. I get embarrassed. I say, that's not right. That's not right. We show respect. When Jesus was on the cross, he prayed to the Father for the soldiers who had crucified him. Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus is our example of graciousness. Amen? Amen. Therefore, we stand our ground for what is right. We stand our ground because we belong to Jesus. We represent the kingdom of God, but we show respect towards it. Listen, we show respect towards our enemies because we want to win the hearts of our opponents for Jesus. We don't look for vengeance. We look for opportunity to demonstrate and show love. Just saying. You know when you have, you, know, you have debates with people too, just another thing is don't always... The biggest thing is not winning arguments and battles with people. It's about winning the people themselves. That's right. So number one is... I can't remember. What was number one? You're not alone. Number two, stand your ground with graciousness. Number three, in these hostile times, spiritually hostile times, we all need to keep the main thing, the main thing. Keep the main thing, the main thing. A lot of people keep hearing me say that. Our purpose, listen, because I'm, I'm, I'm a bit concerned somebody's going to misunderstand me. Um, and if you do, um, see Rochelle afterwards and she'll sort you out. <laughs> our purpose as Christians, here we go, here we go. We've got to have a shift in our thinking. Our purpose as Christians is not to impose a Christian morality on the world. We must not waste energy and resources trying to make Australia a more moral and religious country because it won't work. It's not what God has called the church to do. Our society, Australia, has chosen to be secular at this time. And yes, our society is reaping the consequences of that choice. The Christian worldview has now in Australia been pushed to the margins. Christianity is not considered to be any different to Hinduism or Islam. We're pushed to the margins. And as Christians, we have to learn how to adapt and live with that new reality here in Australia. So instead of longing for the good old days where most people knew the Lord's Prayer and the Ten Commandments, 
We need to move forward in Jesus' name and intentionally keep the main thing, the main thing. So what is the main thing? Well, I'll tell you what it is not, firstly. The main thing is not about making bad people good. Because you see, hell will be full of lots of bad people and it will be full of lots of good people as well. Jesus did not come to make godless people more moral people. Rather, the Father, Jesus came, he came to give spiritually dead people the gift of eternal life. That's why Jesus came. He came to resurrect the dead. He came to make people right with God. The main thing is a proclamation of the gospel. Our message is this, repent of your sin, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's the main thing. Jesus Christ and what he has has done is the main thing. The hope for Australia lies only in the gospel of Jesus Christ and nothing else. On Christ, my solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Our calling is to introduce people to Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Saviour and remains the only hope for this fallen world. Come on. Amen. So number one is when you're under pressure for your faith, number one is you're not alone. God is with you. You don't leave Jesus behind here. He goes with you to work. Amen. Um, number two, stand your ground uh, with firmly but with graciousness. And number three is what? Keep the main thing the main thing. And finally, number four, and I've nearly finished. Fourthly, in these spiritually hostile times, keep your spiritual fervour. Come on, work on keeping your spiritual fervour. The Bible says never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Stir yourself up in the Holy Spirit. Stir yourself up. Stay passionate for Jesus. Don't become like the world. Keep following Jesus. Stay in the Word. Stay in prayer. Keep yourself clean and holy. Stay in fellowship. Keep the fire of God burning in your heart. Our response to this spiritually hostile world is to remember we're not alone. We're to stand our ground with grace and kindness to those with whom we disagree. We keep the main thing, the main thing, and we keep our spiritual further. So what happened when that swear word? (laughs) What happened when... That's where we demanded my attention all those years ago in year nine. Well, this is what happened. I just could not bring myself to say that word. I just, I just couldn't say it. I just, I just, my conscience, I just couldn't say that swear word. So I just jumped over the word and I kept reading on. And no one noticed at first. But there was a lot of swear words to come. And I kept jumping over all of these swear words and soon everybody cottoned on what was going on. And then my classmates responded like I anticipated. They were sniggering at me, whispering amongst themselves. <laughs> you know, um, as I expected. The teacher then took the book off me and she sent me back to my seat. And everyone knew that David Warwick was a weirdo. <laughs> it was out there. He's out, it was out there. But at the end of the lesson, the teacher wanted me to, to come and speak with her. Of course, it was a bit of an issue. And, and I politely but firmly told her that I was a Christian. I said, I'm a Christian. And I said, I, I don't want to read from that book again. It's terrible. 
And I respectfully made it clear that I would never say a swear word out loud in the class. I will not do that. And she looked at me and she just melted. She was so kind to me. She went all motherly, amen, amen. <laughs> and every time I had her class for other subjects or whatever, she was always sweet to me and nice to me. It was great. <laughs> and to my surprise, you know, recess and that, I didn't cop it bad from my classmates at all. They, they were good. What I did get was respect for what I believed in. And I gained friends. And they thought it was okay for me to do what I did. But most importantly, and this is the thing, by standing my ground as a young Christian, and it was so hard to do, but what happened was God did something inside my heart. You know? And God used that awful moment to build me up. And I became more courageous about my faith. And I thought if I could stand for Jesus like that in front of my classmates, then I can stand for Jesus anywhere. And God did a, a work in Belmont Senior High School. That was the school I was in. During those mid-1970s, um, I discovered other Christians in that school. By the way, Lucy used to go to the same high school as me, wherever Lucy is. And we remember each other from school. But there was other Christians I discovered in the school. And then we saw other students come to Christ. We had a Christian group in the school. And they ended up being a huge, strong influence over Belm Belmont Senior High School. Christian influence at that period of time. Isn't God good? Yeah. And I'll tell you this, I'll tell you this, just in, indulge me, is that then when I was in year 12, those same students voted me to be the head boy of the school. How about that? How about that? Stand, stand your ground. I shouldn't have said that. Now, that was a long time ago. Now, now it's 2022. <coughs> Times have kind of changed, but people, I still reckon people are the same. People are still the same. People are still broken like they've always been. And people, this is, i got a, a thing that, you know, people are more open to God than what many of us realise. We think, oh, everybody's close to God. No, they're not. People are really open to God. But you know what they're looking for? They're wanting to meet the kind of Christians who really believe what they say and will bravely stand for what is right and what is noble. But they also, people, also people need to meet the kind of Christians who are non-judgmental and who care and respect people, whoever they are. And Real Life Church, I just simply want to say this morning, let us, be, let us be those kind of people. Let us be the people that God wants us to be. One more time, you're not alone. Stand your ground with respect. Keep the main thing the main thing and keep your spiritual fervour. Come on, everybody, let's stand to our feet.